good afternoon, Bob. Hey, Bill. How are you? We should be celebrating. Like, well, this is the 35th episode of the Bob and Bill podcast. It's amazing. And it's been a crazy week. I mean, we've had extreme heat. Thunder and lightning. Thunder and lightning. We lost power in the property. We lost mm -hmm. our internet. And a, all tree, kinds of stuff. a tree right behind us was split with a, a lightning strike. It's fascinating, the power of God. It really is. In this world. I mean, it got so dark on Monday that I was like, what in the world is happening? But so we're excited because today we're going to have another message from our good friend, Dr. Ron Klein. He's been a speaker here many times at America's Keswick. He was the president of 8CJB, now retired, but man, he can sure teach God's word in such a practical way. But we're also excited because our good friend, David Harris, who serves in our partner care ministry, is going to come and do one of my favorite songs, <laughs> God is Good. Listen to David as he comes, and then Ron's going to share God's word with us. To the old familiar markers of this mercy I have known. No, it may sound simple, but it's more than a cliche. There's no better way to tell you than to say, God's been good. through it all 
Let's, uh, let's get started in our story tonight. We're on number five. We have talked about uh, the armor that God has made available to us that, sad to say, many Christians have ignored. They've said yes to Jesus. They got their sins forgiven. They picked up their ticket to heaven. And they missed the fact that he has a gift for us so that we can sail through the days of earth with joy and peace and satisfaction, with purpose, with design and understanding, with a reason to be alive, actually making a difference while we're here. A lot of Christians spend their time just kind of stumbling around, asking the obvious question, and I'm glad they're asking, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? How come God doesn't do something for me? And it's because we missed a pile of armor that is sitting right there within fingertip length available to us. The first one is truth. He says, I want you to settle everything down so that you know what you believe. Get that settled. Don't be standing around and say, well, I don't know about heaven, and well, I don't know if the Bible is really the Bible, and I don't know. Was Jesus really the Son of God? Did he really raise from the dead? Is he really up there preparing the place for me? I mean, is that fairy tale? If we live in that world, the enemy is just going to wipe us out. He will wipe us out. Truth gives us stability and strength. So figure out what you believe. If you don't believe it, walk away from it. I don't know why you're here if you don't believe it, because it's just going to frustrate you being here. 
Because you're going to hear stuff, you're going to go, wow, that sounds so good, but. And the minute you put that little word on the end of that sentence, Satan goes, zip, and he's in there. So you got to deal with truth. you got to figure it out. Is it true or is it not true? Just ask that question. And if you can't answer it, then you've got to figure out what you're going to do with it. Because if you can't answer it, you're in trouble. The second thing he says is choose righteousness. There's lots of choices in life. We have a lot of ways we can live our lives. We can live our lives um, selfish, pleasing ourselves. We can live our lives pleasing other people. We can get that whole list of political correctness and really work on doing everything on that list. We can live that life. We can live our life in a lot of different ways. He says, if you want to discover purpose, peace, joy, satisfaction, choose righteousness. Seek it first. Do the right thing in the right way at the right time. It's going to be hard because it's not going to be convenient. You're going to want to procrastinate. You're going to want to say, not now. No, this isn't the place to do that. First thing God's going to do is ask you to pray with somebody someplace. He's notorious for that. You're going to run into somebody in the grocery store who just got out of a doctor's office and got bad news. And you're going to be so tempted to say, I'll pray for you knowing that you probably will forget. And God will say, why not pray now? On aisle three in the grocery store, carts whizzing by, and you'll have to choose whether you're going to do that or not. Somebody might ask, where were you this weekend? What would you do over the holiday? You're going to kind of look at the situation and say, oh, man, will they buy into this Bible thing? Mm, I think I'll back off of that. And God will say, whoa, I really worked hard. I got you at the Bible conference, and I got them to ask you about it because I wanted you to tell them about it. They were ready, and you blew it. Choose righteousness. Doing the right thing at the right time, in the right way, God's way. That's the third, second piece of armor. And he says you have to have that on because you're going to wear that all the time. You never know when opportunity comes. So you got to have it on. And you have to have your shoes ready for peacemaking because there's a lot of conflict in this world. Have you noticed that there's just a low level of anger everywhere? Everybody's mad about something. They drive mad. They shop mad. They even talk mad. I, I don't know what it is, but everybody's kind of angry. And relationships have broken down. Families are falling apart. And God says, I want you to be the messenger of peace. I want you to go into that setting and be my peacemaker. Maybe help them understand each other and help them, help them talk with one another and, and help them understand their love for each other. Maybe you can say positive things. You know, you know what he said to me? He said, you were and do it positive. Don't be a bearer of bad news. Be a bearer of good news. Be a reconciler. Now, those three, he says, you've got to have on 
all the time because you never know when you're going to face something. But there's another thing, a shield, that when you feel like you're really under the pressure, you grab the shield and take it up. It's the shield of faith. And you just put that thing between you and whatever's coming at you. It is your confidence in God. You trust him. He knows what he's doing. And remember, you got to settle that. If you have any doubts in that area, Satan's going to wipe you out. He knows what he's doing. Now we come to number five. Ever feel like you don't know which way to go? Do you run to the back of the car or the front of the car? Do you ever get in a situation where just nothing seems right and good? Whatever you choose to do is going to be a bummer. It's going to be bad. You ever been in that situation where it's just hard to make a call? Well, God's armed you for that. God has got you ready for that, just like this. And again, if you take all these words and put them together, you get something like this. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. And that's what we want to do. I don't know when your day of evil is going to come, but it's going to come. It may have already come. And God's plan is to help you to stand. That, that's his plan for his children. He doesn't want us to fall down and get mowed over. He wants us to be able to stand. So stand firm then, and he talks about things that have already been settled. Okay, we just talked about that. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, period. In addition to all of this, so now... We take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish, with, with you can extinguish, not might extinguish. That shield of faith will stop Satan. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able to stand and will with every temptation make a way of escape. That's God. That's what he does. So, readiness that comes from the gospel in addition to the shield of faith and, and take the helmet of salvation. That helmet's really important. It guards your brain. If you're hurt in battle, wounded in the brain, probably none of the armor is going to be any good for you. So he has taken over protecting your brain. You have a helmet on. It's called salvation. You need to have assurance of salvation. Did you hear that phrase? I don't want you doubting your salvation. You can't do anything that would make God erase your name that he wrote in blood. You cannot do anything. Satan cannot take that name 
out of the book. God put it there when you said yes to Jesus, and it stays there. That is one of your major defenses against the enemy. You have to understand you are saved. God has done it. And he doesn't do anything halfway. He does it all the way. So that is the importance of that helmet that we wear. Um, Iran is in the news a lot these days. And I realize this is being streamed, so I have to be very careful what I say here. But I want to share with you, uh, Iran is in the news, and I want you to, every time you read about it, I want you to know something about Iran that you can pray for. Um, Iran is a, uh, a Muslim country. Muslims have no assurance of salvation. So one of the things we really work hard with new converts is to keep telling them that if they said yes to Jesus, Jesus accepted that yes, and they are saved. And there's a whole lot of things that happen to them when they're saved. Now, the amazing thing that happens is that people who come with us when we're telling the Iranians this thing say, I've never heard this. And they're from our churches. So I have put this into this message because it's important that you know this. It may be old stuff to you, and you may say, oh, I know all of this stuff. But I want to remind you of the importance of you understanding the assurance of your salvation. Don't short-circuit God's ability to save you. So Iran is, uh, you see where it is, it influences a lot of countries. It's a powerful influence. It's that yellow country right in the middle. This is a list of the 10 countries, top 10 countries that persecute Christians. So you see Iran made that list. The ones above it, you're not too surprised by that. But these countries kill you if you become a Christian. All the way down. The amazing thing in Iran is that there is now a church in every village. Some of those churches meet at 2 in the morning. Some meet under trees. Some meet out in the hills. There's one church that meets in a boat out in the river. Um, they have been incredibly creative. You say, well, how did they get those churches? Uh, in China, there's a house church movement. It's quite effective. About 180 million Chinese believers in those house churches. That makes that the biggest Christian community in the world. There will be more Chinese in church today than there are Christians in church in America. But their church is a house church. So it'll be a small little group. One of the things they do is they decide that they want to serve God. Some of you guys have talked to me about a desire to serve God, and they don't know quite how to serve God. One of the things we can't do is go to Iran. I cannot get in Iran. I'm an American. And they, they're not, 
real excited about Americans right now. And if they knew I was there to tell people about Jesus, they'd be less excited. But Chinese go into Iran as taxi drivers and as housemaids. And they're Christians. And they tell the people they're working with about Jesus. And there is a great hunger for something other. One of the greatest things that have happened for the church worldwide is ISIS. Did you hear me say that? That has caused Muslims to say, is that really what we believe? We don't believe that. What do we believe? We believe more like what the Christians believe. And so they're seeking out Christians to find out exactly what the Christians believe, and in the process, are getting saved. This would be house church in Iran. These pictures would be people, oops, I'm sorry. These pictures would be what a church looks like in Iran. Not a big group, lots of time praying. Praying for their country, praying for their families, praying for one another, praying for people. Lots of time. Some of these people have never held a Bible in their hand. They're just beginning to read scriptures. God is moving in a powerful way. We're seeing about 500 Iranians a month say yes to Jesus. The house churches are having a hard time handling that number. But it's a wonderful thing. But one of the big problems they have is assurance of salvation. Because they come from a system that tells them you will never know until you stand before God and he weighs how much good you did and how much bad you did, and then you'll know whether you're saved or not. They don't know. And so we have to keep teaching them that. So let me teach you what we teach them. There's eight things that you get when you said yes to Jesus. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, yet I live, yet it's not me that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. I just want you to know what happened to you when you said yes to Jesus, okay? So let's start down this list. Number one, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When I said yes to Jesus, when you said yes to Jesus, you were saved. That means you were forgiven and cleaned up. It was as if you had never, ever sinned. Isn't that cool? You get a new start. You're a new creation. <laughs> it is wonderful. Number two, because of salvation, I am right before God. I don't have to be afraid of God. I don't have to hide from God. I don't have to be afraid of him seeing me. I don't have to be afraid of what he thinks about me. He is, I am right with God. This righteousness, Romans 3, 21, is given through faith in Christ Jesus 
to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified, made as if they had never sinned at all, freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. <laughs> you got that when you said yes to Jesus. God likes to be with you guys. You don't have to hide from him. He loves to talk with you. He loves to hang out with you. He doesn't mind you saying, hey, Father, any time of the day, any place you are. He loves to have the conversation with you. You are right with God. Number three, that's the verse we just gave you. Because I am, a, I am saved, I am a new creation, old things are not just taken care of, they're passed away. The old things don't even exist anymore. I don't know how that works. But all things have become new. I am a new creation. That's what my salvation gives to me. A new me. That's why we call this unit in this lesson the new you. you got to realize this is who you are. You get to start over. You get to do it right. But there's even more. Number four. I am a child of God. Now I know there's a cult called children of God. But I'm talking about being a child of God. I am his child. He is my father. You are my brothers. In fact, we were talking to my new sister over there last night who said yes to Jesus last night. We are a family of God. I am a child of God. John chapter 1. To all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become a child of God. That's you. You have that right. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You can't lose it. You have that right. That's who you are. Boy, if that doesn't make you stand up, that doesn't make you take a little different walk in life, that doesn't make you look at things around you and say, hey, that's not a part of me. I, I don't belong to that stuff. I belong to this. Number five, because of salvation, I am God's special possession. You see, God created me. He designed me. He made me. It was God who blew breath into me and made me a breathing, living creation. I had nothing to do with that. God did all of that. All along I have belonged to him. But sin separated me from that. My selfishness, my behavior, my choices, that separated me from, from my creator. So my creator says, you know, that sin's got to be paid for. Man. And he paid it. Sacrificing his son. 
because he loves me. And he did that so that I could return into his possession. That's where I belong. That's where peace and joy and satisfaction is for me. Cradled in his arms. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Because I have salvation, I am an ambassador of Christ. I represent him. I can speak on his behalf. I can tell you what he says. In fact, I can offer eternal life to you. I can tell you how to get your ticket to heaven. I can tell you how to gain peace. I, I am his ambassador. And we lived outside the United States for 30 years. We know about ambassadors. Some of you do too. You know, you, uh, every 4th of July, our embassy would have beer and hot dogs flown in from America. Real good use of airplanes and money. <laughs> then they set them all up on tables at the ambassador's residence, which is big enough to do that. And then they would invite all Americans, and the only way you can get through the gate is with that passport. And the ambassador would be there to greet us, and we would feel like we were home. And at a certain time during the day, a bugle would sound. And for the first time in a year, we would hear the national anthem with the Marines, and out they would march with that flag. The only time we saw it, once a year. You represent that to the world you live in. You are God's ambassador. When they're around you, they should feel the presence of God. They should feel like they're home with their creator. In fact, you should make them wonder what you're on. You got so much peace and so much joy in this troubled world, you must be on something. <laughs> you're so forgiving and so accepting. You're just like Jesus. You care about people and you love people and you're kind to people and you're good to people. When people are around us, they ought to feel heaven. We're the ambassador. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, but it has another line, as though God were making his appeal through us. You know what really scares me? Not a lot scares me, but this does. I wonder if anybody's not a Christian because of me. I wonder if they saw something they didn't want. 
God wants to appeal to them through us. That's the salvation that he wants to offer. Number six. Oh, no, number seven. Paul says, we are God's fellow workers. We're not working for God, we're working with God. So I don't come over here and say, whoa, God, I've got a great idea. I want to do this, I want to do, oh, yo, hey, God, come over here and bless me. When I was uh, first saved, I decided that one of the things that God needed was an ambassador on the beach in San Diego. <laughs> and I figured that if I put up an umbrella that said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest, that I could put that in the sand and then I could maybe get some swim shorts with the same color so people would know I was connected with that umbrella. And then I could be an ambassador on the beach. I mean, I had this wonderful plan for my life. We all have that. We call that following God. It has nothing to do with following God. It's asking God to follow us. And he doesn't do that very well. But he has something for you that he wants to do with you. He's not going to send you to, where were we talking, Malawi all by yourself. He's going to go with you. You're going to be God's fellow worker in Malawi. Those jars, guys, when they're up in that plane, they're not alone. God is with their fellow workers with God. That's probably what keeps the planes up. Don't forget that. <laughs> what a privilege we have, folks, to be fellow workers with God. Not working for God and trying to impress him and make brownie points and say, boy, I must be really special because I'm doing such a good... No, God, what do you want me to do? And then just look for doors to open and opportunities to come. Some doors are going to close. You're going to want to really do this, and he's going to close that door and say, no, you don't. Remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul wanted to go and finish the work in Asia. He had planted some churches. He wanted to finish the work in Asia. And the Bible actually says the Spirit of God wouldn't allow him to do it. I don't know how he stopped him from doing that, but he stopped him. And then this guy comes along and says, come over and help us in Macedonia. And he goes over and plants churches all through Greece. And that's how we got the book of Philippi, Philippians, the book of Corinthians, book of Thessalonica, Thessalonians. All that came because he responded as a fellow worker. And there's one more. Number eight, 1 Timothy 1.12. I am appointed to service. Listen to this. I thank Jesus Christ the Lord who has given me strength. He's the one that equipped me. He's given me strength. That he considered me trustworthy. Boy, if you're going to mark your Bible... Mark 1 Timothy 1.12. That he considered me trust. So he's already equipped me. I'm already equipped for service. He has put into me 
what will be effective ministry. I don't know what that is, but he has put it into me. Now he waits for me to be trustworthy or faithful, some of your Bibles say. He considers me faithful already, but he wants, me to, he wants to see it. And then he says, he's appointing me to service. He's got a job for you and you and you. He's got a reason for your existence. When you're my age, you can look back on your life and just see his handprint all over the place, twisting and turning and moving He's in charge. And when he's in charge, things happen that are really amazing. I want, I want to tell you a story. Um, this afternoon, if some of you were over at the concert, right? The Diane Suzik concert. And you heard me say, because I counted them up so that I could say that this afternoon, I I didn't know how many Bible conferences I've, sp I've spoken at, like this, five or six times each time at a Bible conference, sometimes 12 and 13 when you do morning and evening. Um, but I realized that I've done 181 of these. That's a lot of Bible conferences. That's a, that's, that's a lot. And as I counted that number, this amazing sense of pleasure came over me. I did not accept Christ till I was a freshman in college. I was mad at God until I was a freshman in college. I had a terrible speech impediment. I could not put a sentence together. And I had a stutter on top of it. So if I got under any pressure, like if you surprised me with hello, <laughs> my response was so bad that you would have walked away. Because I just couldn't get it done. I didn't do well in school. Um, I did well in some areas, which got me through school, but academically, zip. I wasn't going to college. I was going to be a professional musician because you didn't have to talk to be a musician. And I had, I had gained that skill and, and had a pretty good opportunity when the guy said to me, I will hire you, you'll travel the world with me, but you've got to go to college. It shocked me. It was in the summer after my senior year. I was playing for the San Diego Philharmonic. I was the only high school kid in that, in that whole group. It shocked me. I was not, I couldn't get into college. I was, I was academically zip. My parents had gone to a little uh, Christian college concert and had given some money, and my mother, German, uh, decided that since they had given a contribution, that college had to let me in. <laughs> My mother's in heaven reorganizing things up there. Uh, <laughs> whipping people into line, I'm sure. Um, but um, she called that president, and I mean, 
I can't believe, I have no idea what she said, but he finally said, okay, I'll let him in on, on, on uh, probation. Um, so there I was in college on probation. I didn't know how to write. I didn't know how to spell. Um, I didn't put sentences together. Uh, and certainly was antisocial. But all I wanted to do is get through so that I could get this gig in, in the Philharmonic. That uh, freshman year, they had required chapel. And I was sitting, uh, they had assigned seats, little Bible college. I was sitting between two girls who knew all the verses and sang all the songs. I was the... Uh, I was, I was just lost. My life was a mess. And on Monday morning of the sixth day of this chapel, the preacher preached something that just got to me. And I don't remember how I got from the front, but I did. I got up front and prayed and accepted the Lord. Little did I know that day on my knees, which I decided I'd never be on, on my knees, little did I know what salvation meant. And I'm telling you the story because I think there's people here that don't know what their salvation, salvation means. I walked out of the chapel that day with this sense of freedom that I couldn't identify. I, I didn't know what it meant. That night, a guy calls me and says, well, the guy who had prayed with me at the chapel, says, I have to preach at a rescue mission on Saturday night, and I want you to go with me. And I said, really, what do they do? And he said, well, I'm going to preach. We're going to take three girls along. They're going to sing. Three girls, that was interesting to me. So... I mean, I didn't have much luck with girls because I, I couldn't talk. I, I, I literally could not talk. Um, so that was of interest. So I agreed to go. He talked to me Tuesday morning, and he said, oh, by the way, when you come, I want you to read Scripture and pray. I tried to sell him I couldn't go, but it took me so long to say that that <laughs> he left. And I couldn't do it. I knew. I knew. I mean, I knew I couldn't do it. But funny enough, I thought the reason I don't want to do this is because I don't want to make God look bad. That's the first time I ever thought that. I was always worried about making me look bad. But I realized, I was thinking now, oh, I don't want God to look bad. I don't want, what are they going to think? A guy gets up there in the pulpit and he can't read a verse of Scripture and he can't pray? What kind of a Christian's that? Well, he was gone. So I picked this wimpy little verse, about the smallest verse. I didn't know the Bible, so about the smallest little verse I could. Wrote out a little short prayer, but I just I couldn't get it. That night, part of my probation was meeting with a Mrs. Best, um, who had decided that I didn't know enough English to be in English class. 
So she was going to tutor me. So every Tuesday night I had to go to her apartment and she was teaching me English. Basic English that you would teach in kindergarten and first grade. Um, so I went to her and I said, I, I've been asked to do this and I don't want to do it. I don't think I can do it. That took me, you know, that, that's, that phrase probably took 10 minutes to say. That's how bad it was. But I, uh, I, I think I'd like to do it. So she worked and worked and worked with me. We went hours that night. I finally got so I could read it and say the words right, because I, I hadn't learned the sounds. Say the word right. And I show up on Saturday. I am so afraid. Now remember, I'm a new creation, right? Do you, do you believe that? I didn't. I was still the old guy. Couldn't talk. Couldn't say words. The girls sang. They were beautiful. I read my passage. I never looked out. I just drilled in on this paper. Read my passage of Scripture. Read my prayer. Stumbled a little bit, but I got through it. I was so thrilled. Went back and sat down. My friend gets up to speak. About three sentences into his message, he starts coughing. Bad cough. Pretty soon he's wheezing and he's whispering. He can't get the words out. He turns around, comes back to me, and says, you have to finish this message. I cannot talk. Now there is, folks, I want to tell you, and right now standing here, I can feel that panic I had. There was no way I could do that. I mean, not only would it be embarrassing, it would never end. The service would never have ended. <laughs> I thought, let the girls do it. I didn't know the rules back then. That the girls couldn't do it in the rescue mission. So he went back up, tried to finish, could not, could not. And they came back. Now the guys are sitting out there. I mean, they got to sit through this service before they can get dinner, you know. All they want is for somebody to say amen, and then they can get out. So he comes back to me, and he says to me, the guys can't leave until we finish this thing. Just go up there and tell them what happened on Monday. Now remember, it happened on Monday. This is Saturday. I don't know. It was the same thing. I don't know how I got up there. I, uh, I had determined when I was about nine years old that I would not cry in front of anybody anymore for their teasing and mocking my speech pattern. And I hadn't cried, but there I stood crying in front of all those men. Um, I was so scared. But I was scared about making God look bad. Because I was, I was representing him all of a sudden. I don't know when that got to me, but it did. And so I just started telling the story of Monday, the preacher who preached on the soil and the seed, and how he had said, some of you are deliberately making your soil hard, and how when he said that, I knew that was me. I had made my soil hard. 
Maybe you've made your soil hard. You need to be open to God and let him do. What do you have to lose? And all of a sudden, I'm talking like this. I have never stammered since. That's salvation. It's more than a ticket to heaven. It's more than forgiveness of your sins. God has a plan for you. And he wants to work it. And the plan is good. The guy who couldn't talk has done 181 Bible conferences. How's that? That is impossible. And my dear mother would come to hear me speak. She would just sit there and cry the whole time. She always believed that God had a plan for me. What's he got for you? Would you dare to take a chance and let him show you what he's got? All you have to do is trust him. Do what he tells you to do. Get out of your chair and move. It might be just from that chair to a podium. It'll be scary. Oh, man, it will be scary. The devil will tell you a hundred reasons why you shouldn't do that, why you should play it safe, tuck in and be safe. You were saved to represent God on this planet. Did you hear that? Can that even be a thinkable thing? You were saved to represent Almighty God, the creator of all things. You were saved to represent him, and he trusts you with that. And you'll never know what he can do until you let him do it. So, Bob, what are we going to do with ourselves? I mean, oh, like... Mercy, I just have a little secret for you. We're probably going to be busier this summer than ever. 